So we're starting a new series called My Life. And you can see from the logo behind me that we're going to be dealing with our family and money and health and marriage and church and all the different things that touch our lives. But today, I want to start out talking about the heart. I want to talk to you about my heart. And I think that as I share some things about my heart, that God's going to show you some things about your heart. Now, if you've ever seen a performer, it could be any type of performer. It could be an actor, an athlete, a musician uh, who has kind of gone through the motions, who are, are accomplishing the activity, but it just doesn't feel like they're into it. Let, let's just take, for example, a musician. And you may have heard somebody in concert and she's up there and she's singing the lyrics and she's trying to complete the song. But there's this nagging feeling that even though she's mechanically going through with what she's supposed to do, that her heart's not into it. She's just not there. And that's a phrase that we've really adopted to that type of behavior. We say their heart wasn't into it. So that makes us think, well, what do we mean by heart? Obviously, there's a biological definition, and we know the heart that pumps blood through our veins, but this is talking about something uh, uh, much less intangible, but really way more important. And it's this, it's, we could say our heart is our motivation. It's kind of an incomplete term, but if you want to give one word, we could say our heart's our motivation, but it's even deeper than motivation. Our heart is the essence of who we really are. Not just what we do on the outside, but who we are, what our motivations are, what our secret thoughts are, what our secret desires are. And the heart is only known by God. Uh, we, can, we can look at some behavior and see that as an expression of the heart, but ultimately only God really knows the heart. So before we start talking about all the important things you see listed here, family and money and health and marriage and church, we got to start at the first place. And that is our heart, who we are, the authentic me, who I am on the inside. And I want us to start in Proverbs chapter four. Note that that scripture is not listed on your review uh, or nor is it in you version because I just remembered yesterday as I was praying about this message that we got to start at Proverbs chapter four, verse 24. So you'll, you might want to jot that down. Proverbs four twenty three. excuse me. And it says it this way. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You know, we can fake it in anything for a while. We can fake any kind of behavior. We can fake any type of activity. But eventually, if we're inauthentic, we're going to get caught and that's going to be discovered. If it flows from our heart, it's who we are. And that's why the scripture says, Proverbs 4.23 is so important. It says, listen, above everything else, guard your heart. Protect your heart. Make sure your heart is staying in the right place. Another version of the same scripture says, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. I mean, it's where, where everything flows. It's where language flows. It's where choices flow. Everything starts at the heart. So I want to talk to you a little bit about my heart. And I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Some of you may know things about me. Others of you haven't met me yet, but uh, I grew up uh, outside of Dallas, Texas in one of the suburbs there. And I want to just kind of tell you about my seventh grade year. And that might 
let you discover a little bit more about my heart and who I am. My seventh grade year, uh, I was pretty much a typical seventh grader growing up in that time period. I grew up as a huge sports fan. That's all I really cared about. And the fact that I was in the Dallas area, it was a great time to grow up as a sports fan. Uh, I came from a very middle-class family. Uh, My dad was a plumber. My mom was a teacher and lived in the same house my whole life. We were involved in in public schools at that time and involved in the community and very involved in church. So I uh, knew a lot about religion, knew a lot about Christianity, knew a lot about my faith. Uh, just reflecting on this, I was thinking about my seventh grade year. I started a new school and I was in middle school. And that when my parents went to the uh, parent-teachers conferences, uh, the news they heard from my teachers and my teachers reinforced this with me is evidently back then I had good manners. I would say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am and thank you. And that seemed to make an impression on them. Beth, I don't know what happened after that, but in seventh grade, I used to have good manners. Uh, so uh, my grades were, were, were pretty good. Uh, I'd say real good at that, at that time. So a lot of my indicators were, I mean, things were going as planned. Things were going as it should. Uh, I was the product of my environment and I would say that that product was pretty good. But I need to tell you something about me in seventh grade. Despite those positive indicators, my heart was wicked. My heart was wicked. And, and saying that, there, there's part of us that reacts. We're like, what do you mean? How can you say your heart was wicked? I'm hearing uh, uh, about respect, about uh, diligence and grades. I'm hearing about church involvement. How can you say my heart was wicked? I know there's part of us that we think that's harsh and that's wrong. And one of the reasons we react negatively to the statement you read behind me is that you have been trained in every way to believe humanity is good. Humanism has permeated our education system. It's permeated. It's it's part of our culture. It's part of our entertainment where basically we have this belief that Human beings are basically good. We're just a product of our environment. I remember uh, when, when I was working with students more directly, running in, uh, dealing with a lady at a campground we were renting, and, and she said something that I kind of agree with, but is also unbiblical in a way, and you'll understand why. She said, I don't believe there's any such thing as bad kids. There's only bad parents. Well, you know, a lot of me, a lot of me wants to agree with that. And I understand the premise that obviously those children with great parents have unbelievable advantages over some who don't. And the environment does make a difference. But from a biblical standpoint, from a theological standpoint, you have to understand that the heart is wicked. And my seventh grade heart was wicked. We first learned this Uh, after God destroyed the earth uh, through the flood. And if you remember, he preserved, uh, you know, uh, human beings and and some of the animal kingdom through Noah's ark, through a big ship. And when land started to dry up and they began to re-engage outside the boat, they worshiped the Lord. And in Genesis chapter eight, we kind of insert ourselves into the story, starting with verse 21. This is after the flood was over. And it says, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, which was worship, which was sacrifice, 
The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's an interesting scripture there. Basically, God said, I'm not going to destroy the earth again because man is just evil in his heart. And the wording of that is intense and it's strong. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. You know, we, we've been programmed to think, no, no, really, mankind is good. Mankind's good. But the truth is, the Bible tells us that our hearts are evil. Now, let me talk to you about humanity for a second. Because it is true that I believe God is most glorified when human beings get it right. We're unlike any of his own other creation. We're created in his image. And when human beings get it right, we reflect the glory of God, even when human beings don't realize they're doing that. For example, in art, a a great piece of art, whether it be a painting or a sculpture or music, or even now in the technical field, or, or in, in graphics and video, those, those expressions is a reflection of God's glory. And we reflect God's glory when we're artistic. And that's a great thing. And that's a great, humanity's never better when we do that. When, when families adopt orphans, they reflect God's glory. When when the Special Olympics occur, and there's a whole program there to, to make a disabled student or adult feel good about themselves, that's when humanity's at its best. Mankind is reflecting the glory of God, and good things happen. Good things happen in this church when we come together and we glorify him, and we are made in the image of God, and we're like mirrors of what God's doing. I understand that. That's a beautiful picture. But... The Bible makes it clear that our hearts and the essence of who we are is wicked. Jeremiah reinforces this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, where he says it this way. Jeremiah chapter 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick, who can understand it? That's a pretty, pretty dark indictment of our motivations and who we are. If you don't think that applies to you, I want you to just walk down memory lane. I don't want you to go too far here, but you think of a time, maybe it was when you were a child, or maybe it was when earlier this week or recently, when you did something and you engaged in behavior, you made a choice, and afterwards you thought, How could I have done that? You think, how in the world could I do that? How in the world could I make that bad choice? How in the world could I do that again? That's not even me. You know why? Because your heart's wicked. And eventually, there could be an expression of that. Well, you might think, well, I can't can't really think of anything big like that. I, I could probably challenge you on that if we were sitting down and discussing this and I guess I was probing for every wicked thing you did. That does not sound like a fun coffee, does it? But if you go on beyond that, think about something you've said that has hurt, that has cut, that has devastated. Words that you said that they come out of your mouth and it pierces someone you love. And you think, where did that come from? Why in the world did I say that? 
How did those words pass through my lips? Objectively, you would never choose to say that. Why? Because it comes out of your heart. It comes out of your heart. If you want to go a little deeper than that, I know every person has had this happen where a thoughts come through your mind and you thought, whoa, where'd that come from? Are you kidding? That's a bad thought. I would be embarrassed if anybody knew I thought this. I can't believe I'm having this thought. Everyone's experienced that at some point in their life where something dark or, or, or something unholy or something that opposes itself to God comes into our mind and we're like, where did that come from? How did that happen? Why? Because the heart is wicked. And, and I want to tell you this is that is that when, until we understand that the heart is wicked, we'll never see that we need Jesus. We'll never see that we need him. We'll be full of self-righteousness and pride in our own ability, in our own religion, in our own self-discipline. No, but there's a heart. And see, my heart was wicked, but I got good news for you. Let me tell you about my heart. My heart was wicked, but my heart was changed. My heart was wicked, but my heart was changed. Because that seventh grade year, I was invited to a camp by my football coach, a guy named Brent Batson. He wasn't too much older than me. He was probably 19 or 20. And for you men, you'll get to meet Brent at the men's retreat in late January. So he'll be our speaker there. But Brent invited me to this camp. And as we were going to the camp, uh, he had a group of older teenagers that hung out with him. And I just want to tell you, these guys and gals, well, they were weirdos. I mean, we stopped at the gas station. The first stop you make as a youth group to get your Funyuns and Mountain Dew and all that stuff. And uh, we're getting all that. And this little group is with Brent and they're huddled in prayer in the gas station. I was like, oh, oh Lord, help me. Do not associate me with these people whatsoever. And then as we were driving down to the campground, this little group were worshiping in the back and they had their hands in the air on the bus in the middle of the day with a boom box. They were worshiping the Lord. It was really, really odd. It was really strange. Throughout the week, we begin to call this group the God Squad because everywhere they go, they were worshiping. They were wearing I Love Jesus t-shirts. They were huddling in prayer. When we were doing recreation, instead, they were praying in a corner, listening to worship tapes. Yes, it was tapes back then. Uh, the, the whole deal. And, and, and I just remember just thinking what an odd group that was. And so one afternoon during free time, I had escaped for some time by myself. And I was, I, I can, as, as clear as you can see me right now, I can see the place where I was. It was at Fall Creek's, Fall Creek Camp in, in Oklahoma. I was in our bunk and I had a corner bunk. It was a bottom bunk. And I was in that bunk reading a sports magazine, of course. And all of a sudden, I hear a door open. And in comes Brent and the entire God Squad behind him. And before I could escape, they had literally cornered me. Not just figuratively, they literally cornered me in my bunk. And so I'm surrounded by the God Squad with my sports magazine, couldn't move, and Brent zeroed in on me. I was 12 years old and he said, Aaron, I've been wanting to talk to you this week. Let me talk to you. I have a question for you. If you were to die right now and to face God and you were to stand before him and he would ask you, why should I let you in heaven? What would you say? And that's a little intimidating for a 12-year-old to hear. And uh, I'm looking around, and I kind of sheepishly say something like, uh, 
I mumbled, oh, Jesus died for my sins and I accepted him as my savior. And I saw a bunch of heads nodding for the God squad. They were like, yeah, that's good, that's good. So I answered it right. And so then he said, well, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. And he began to pray for me. And something happened. See, this was the average kid from the average family doing what he's supposed to do. But my heart hadn't been changed yet. And in that prayer, something changed. Something changed with inside of me. And I got a little emotional during the prayer. And the prayer ended and the God squad left. And I'll have to say that I never joined the God squad because even after God changed my heart, I still thought they were weird. So that, that wasn't an issue. But that, since that afternoon, that very night, the music meant something more. And the sermon was more interesting. And the Bible study, my devotional life, there was a reason for me to have it. Why? Because God did something in me that religion can't do and parents can't do and grandparents can't do and youth pastors can't do and being, uh, being raised in the southern part of America can't do. God changed my heart. He changed my heart. My heart was wicked, but my heart was changed. And in the old system, in the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, it was all about laws. It was all about rules only. It was all about a list of things that disqualified you from being close to God. But Jesus came, and a new covenant came. Jesus came, and something changed. And the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about this, about the time you and I live in right now. In Ezekiel chapter 11, Starting with verse 19, God said through the prophet, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Moving on, it says that they may walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. That is what God does to a changed heart. He does what only he can do. It takes a presence. It takes a person. It's something supernatural. It takes faith to believe that God can come to a hardened heart and he can replace it with a heart of flesh and he can make things new for you. You know, this morning I got to the church really early and it was probably the most beautiful morning I can ever remember perfect weather. The sun hadn't come up yet, and I saw the sky. The sky was clear. There was a half moon and all the different stars. It was just gorgeous. And this is one of those rare days we get to joy where the weather is pretty much agreeable to everybody. Pretty much agreeable to everybody. But I've noticed that in life, we are full of a bunch of complainers about the weather. Now, part of that is just a function of just uh, the small talk that we have to do. So here at the church, the UPS guy has been coming for about a year and I run into him quite a bit and I don't know him. He doesn't know me, but we have to be friendly to each other because he's getting paid and I'm a pastor. So uh, he's in a hurry and I'm being interrupted. So we say hi to each other and the weather comes up. And so he'll say something about the weather. I'll say something about the weather. And that's about as deep as our relationship has gone so far. Now, that happens too. The, the girl who cuts my hair, she, we start out, the weather is where we start. 
Why? It's like the primer. It primes the pump of conversation. You, you do it, I do it. We all talk about the weather. But there's some of us who, beyond just a conversational tool, uh, the weather has just become this excuse to complain all the time. Complaining about the weather. It's, it's too hot. Then it's too cold. It's too wet. It's too dark. It's too windy. Uh, as if the billions of people who have lived upon this planet have not had to endure what you have to endure. I mean, pretty much we've all been in this, had the same relationship to the sun that sometimes it's hot and sometimes it's cold. We cannot get around it. But for whatever reason, we always complain. And here's the reason that we complain. We complain because we are organisms who respond to the weather. The heat affects us. The cold affects us. The darkness affects our moods. The rain affects our plans. I mean, we, are, we are victims of the weather. The environment makes a difference. The environment makes a difference, and there's really no way we can get around it. We can, we can change our attitude. That's one way. But, but we're going to be affected. The clothes we choose to wear, when we have our vacations, where we have our vacations, when we mow the lawn, uh, when we play with the kids, all of that's affected by the weather. So it's definitely a topic of conversation. I say all of this because... This reinforces something that I want you to know about your heart. Because yes, your heart is a physical organism too. It, it responds to, to, to physical data. But I want to talk about your motivations too. The essence of who you are, your inner man. And your inner man responds to its environment. It responds to your environment. You cannot get around that. You see, my heart was wicked, but my heart was changed. Let me tell you about my heart though. My heart is still changing. My heart is still changing. It still changes. And that's something that we easily forget that just as we are physically changed by the weather, we're affected by it. It affects our choices. It affects our outlook. So it is that our heart, our inner man is affected by the atmosphere that we're in. I mean, don't think you can get around it. Just like every person who's ever lived on this planet has been affected by the distance and relationship to the sun, to the part of the world they're in, that they are in. Every person who's ever lived, you are affected by the atmosphere you're in. That's why the scripture is very clear. It says, do not be mocked. God is not a liar. Those who sow to the flesh will reap destruction. Those who sow to the spirit will reap life. So the environment we choose completely affects where our heart is. My heart was wicked, but my heart was changed. But my heart's still changing. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need environments. Environments where we can be part of transformation and we can be part of Christian community. That's why tonight, all over the city, people are opening up their homes yeah, you can drop off your kids here, but most of our groups are in homes within a two or three mile, mile radius of here. And people are opening up their homes. So you can invest in Christian community. Why? Because your heart's always changing and you need to be in relationship with other Christians. You need to be in church. You need to be having devotional. It's not a have to. Like you don't have to do those things to get to heaven. It's something you get to do so you can get closer to Jesus. Your environment completely affects your heart. 
That's why Hebrews chapter 3 is such an important scripture. Hebrews chapter 3, starting with verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart. Now, look at this. This, this phrase is really interesting because it says, take heed, my brothers. This was written to Christians. This was written to Christian people. This wasn't written to random, strange people. And he, he said, hey, brothers and sisters, to take heed, take care, lest any of you has an evil and unbelieving heart. See, as Christians, our heart were, was wicked. Then our heart was changed, but our hearts are still changing. And brothers and sisters, this scripture's warning you today that yes, you may be a Christian and you're going to heaven and you understand different things about Christian principles, but if you don't watch your heart, if you don't guard your heart, your heart can get hard and evil can overtake your heart. And it's not just a month-by-month deal or day-by-day deal. It could be a moment-by-moment. You know, I, I'm feeling pretty, pretty good right now about my relationship with the Lord this morning because I came and I prayed and read the scripture this morning, reviewed my notes. I've been through two worship services. Uh, I'm around Christian people. I'm feeling pretty close to God right now. But do you know that this afternoon, my heart could drift away and it could go to an evil place? So I've got to watch. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to look out. Well, here's part of it. Let's go to the next slide. Let's look up there. And it says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So here it is. We have this potential to be hardened. We have this potential to have the deceitfulness of sin to make our hearts change. Yes, our heart was wicked, but our heart was changed and our hearts are still changing. That's why we need one another. We need each other. We need encouragement. We need a repetition of hearing the word. We need to be in Christian community because our hearts can drift so easily. Our hearts can drift and our hearts can become hard, but God has available for us the right environment, environment where we can know his way and know his spirit and know what he has to say. My heart was wicked. My heart was changed. My heart is changing. But here's the last thing you need to know. But my heart is his. That's what's different between us and others who are not following Christ. My heart is his. I belong to him. And even when my heart drifts, and even when my heart gets hardened through his love and grace and compassion, he's always calling me back home. He's always bringing me back home. That's the greatness of our God. And I love the scripture, Second Chronicles Chapter 16, verse 9 says it this way. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You know, one of the greatest compliments I get from people, sometimes they'll say, Aaron, we just love hearing your heart. That's very humbling to say that. And when people do that, it means a lot to hear that. But the truth is, and I've often thought, 
They don't really know my heart. Only God does. He's the only one. Because your heart is that part of you no one else knows but God. And let me ask you this. In your heart, are you loyal to God? Are you loyal to God? Are you loyal to God? Have you given his life? Because God is looking for a woman and he's looking for a man who'll be loyal to him. God is looking for someone who in his heart is loyal to him. A couple of days ago, a few of us went to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes banquet and there Coach Bobby Bowden was a speaker and Coach Bowden is the most accomplished college coach in history, has, has the most wins of anyone in history and he's 82 years old and he was charming as he told funny stories about football and life. But when he started talking about his God and the role of the church and reaching young men for Christ, there was a passion in him that you knew that his, you just felt that his heart was loyal to God. I don't know him personally, but I know this. I know that he's been walking with God for a long time publicly and it served him well. It served him well. We're at age 82, even though his professional career is over, maybe his greatest moments are ahead of him as he's preaching the gospel through the ministry of FCA. Because God's looking for men and women whose hearts are loyal to him. And I want you to think about that today. Are you personally loyal to God? I don't know a lot of you guys out there, I know this from talking to most of you and from youth ministry and all that, that about 80% of us guys, our testimony of following the Lord starts out something like this. Well, I met this girl. There's something about meeting that girl and that pretty girl that gets young men and men into church and they get into church. And that's just how God works sometimes. He works in youth ministry, he works, I guess, through eHarmony and dating services and you find a girl you like and she says, uh, you got to go to my church and we go to that church. And you know, that's, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not belittling that in, in the, in, at all. God works that way. And, and you're very smart. You're very intelligent to follow a godly girl. But I want to tell you, men, there's got to come a time where your heart has to be loyal to God. Girls, ladies, you have to be loyal to God despite what your husband and where he is in his walk. You have to be loyal to God no matter what your family does. You have to be loyal to God no matter what culture does. No matter what this country and where it turns us, we are people who are loyal in our hearts to God. Not just when it's for personal benefit or for social advancement or to help us get a raise or, or to, to make our marriage easier because our spouse wants us to go to church so we'll go with them. It has to move beyond that. That might be the starting place, but God is looking. He is looking for a man or a woman whose heart's heart is loyal to him. Look at that scripture again, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That's why today I want you to take account of your heart. That secret place that no one else knows. That secret place that no one else is aware of. Maybe not even your spouse, your best friend. No one knows where your heart is with God, but God knows exactly where you're at. And today, he wants you 
to be loyal to him. He wants you to renew that loyalty. He wants you to resist that sin. He wants you to submit to his will. Submit to that call. Quit running from the call. Quit being scared of what God's will for your life is. I'm going to promise you this. God's will for your life is better than anything you can imagine. Some of you are running away from what's best for you. And God's saying, quit doing that. Quit doing that. That stops today. Right here, your heart and the inner man and the deep part. That's what needs to be loyal to the Lord. I want to ask our ushers to begin to position themselves for corporate communion today. We have a fantastic opportunity to eat the bread and drink the cup that represents the body of Christ. In a few moments, the bread and cup will come your way. Uh, You're under no obligation to participate.